0: To the U.S. Fire Journal podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good morning. Welcome into the podcast. I am. Jay. Today is July the 16th. It's July 16th, the whole day, in fact. So welcome in again. And for those of you who are uh, sort of new to the podcast, and hopefully that's more and more each day, um, this podcast is all about firefighting in the United States, as well as uh, occasionally we talk about things going on overseas. I've I heard from Uh, A friend that I met at FDIC maybe 15 years ago, Um, he's a firefighter in Germany, and I've reached out to him. I heard on the news that two firefighters have died in Germany in that just horrendous flooding that's going on there. I don't know if you've seen the the video or pictures, but it is intense, and uh, again, I've reached out to him uh, to find out... uh, what I can about those two line-of-duty deaths. I I saw it briefly mentioned, I haven't seen anything else, but uh, certainly uh, keep those brothers and sisters in your thoughts. Today is the question-and-answer podcast, and uh, I've received quite a bit of email um, over the last, say, week, uh, I invited people to send in questions, editor at firefighter, excuse me, editor at usfirejournal.com. That's editor at usfirejournal.com. And I told people, hey, send in questions. And, and some of them are, are pretty interesting. One was, uh, um, you know, what's your favorite wine? Um, I'd have to say probably my favorite wine is single malt scotch because I don't drink wine. Uh, Nothing wrong with wine, if that's your thing. I'm just not a wine fan. Um, So that was interesting in as much as it had absolutely nothing to do with the topic. Another person asked me what my favorite movie was. And I assumed that they meant what's your favorite movie with respect to firefighting. Um, In which case, it's it's a documentary actually from the 70s on the war years uh, in the FDNY. Just a great documentary that broke down... Uh, what was going on there and it, it showed some of the uh, some of the brothers in battle um, just an outstanding documentary as as far as mainstream movies uh, not big on firefighter mainstream movies they get so much wrong I know a lot of people like uh, the Travolta film was it ladder 49 or something like that I didn't really care for it uh, backdraft Backdraft I enjoyed as a movie, but not as a firefighter movie because, again, there's just so much of it that's just impossible. So, anyway, again, welcome to the fourth episode. The website had some problems with it, it went down, and uh, of course, it did. And uh, so, I'm trying to recover that. I do have the website back up. You can go there, usfirejournal.com, usfirejournal.com. Also, the newsletter. You can uh, later today, you'll be able to go to the website, get a link to the newsletter. and the newsletter comes out about twice a week unless something big happens. Um, but it's very short, very concise, hitting a couple of different training areas or things you may want to know, you usually have a picture or two in it. and that's it. It's not something that's going to uh, take all of your attention away from, from your important surfing, you know, Instagram and, and all those sorts of things. Pornhub, whatever you do, to keep yourself sane. So let's do a Proby versus veteran, right? This is a new thing we're doing with this podcast. And Proby versus veteran, you know the Proby looks at things much different than the veteran. Uh, the veteran has has been around, they're they're hardened. They've been through they've been through the battles. They've been through those emotional moments when somebody in the station doesn't want to watch the Super Bowl. Um, and so they have to deal with those, those momentous emotional events. Um, you know, the probie's really interested in why the truck is red. The veteran's like, I don't care what we ride to the fire. Let's just go. So these types of things is probie versus veteran, but it is serious. Okay. The probie is anxious to move up. You know, a lot of probies, not all, but a lot of probies The day they join the fire department, they're already sizing up that white helmet. And sometimes they do get (laughs) promoted to chief. It turns out to be a disaster. But no, the, the probie is anxious to move up. The veteran is concerned with knowing enough before moving up because the veteran has seen lousy leadership. They don't want that. All right? So the probie, anxious to move up. The veteran concerned with knowing enough before moving up. There are some people who are such good people, such I mean they they're the backbone of the fire service that oftentimes they have to be told repeatedly, hey, you know what, you ought to try for your next promotion. Others can't wait to be in charge. Not because they have something to give, but because they just want to be in charge. They want that feeling of having made it. They want to be able to tell people what to do. And then hold them to it, even if it's something bad. And, and typically, it is for people who want to promote simply to be in charge. You know, and that's something that we have to be careful about. You know, in the fire service, the fire service is, is, is a very open to bad leadership by virtue of the fact that, that uh, different departments, different styles of leadership. So when you look at those sorts of things, you're trying to figure out, okay, how does X department, how do they promote and create good leadership? Uh, how do they create good leaders, rather? And sometimes it's a crapshoot. People get promoted because they're a nice person. People get promoted because there's no one else in the eyes of those who do the promoting. There's no one else to do it. And and so it's important that, that leaders start being good probies and then being good veterans and then get promoted up you know and with leadership you need maturity you know you you can have a lot of things but without that maturity without that maturation process typically they're going to make mistakes that that the mature person would not so you need that that maturity you need the experience you need the, the intellect You need all those things, but let's not forget this too. You need to know how to fight fire and extricate people from, from vehicles and, and you need to know how to do CPR or whatever the medical component is for, for your department, all those things, but you need, you absolutely need that, that, that maturity. And typically, Hmm, that's uh that can be, that can be the end point there with, with respect to maturity. So let's jump into some questions now i'm going to go through some questions i received quite a few i can't do all of them and i'll try to be i'll try to expand on on the comments uh, or on the questions rather with my comments So well, somebody sent in a thing and said hey enjoy the podcast why do tractor uh, excuse me why do tillers turn the cab away from the building well on a tiller truck anything any type of aerial apparatus, the key is the scrub area, right? That's key. You have to maximize that scrub area. You know, as a guy told me one time, um, I was in, I was in the Northeast in a very large city that has five boroughs and I was young. And, uh, uh I was talking to this guy who was just absolutely, he was a beast. And, and so I said, I'm like, Hey, you know, why uh why do you do this with the aerial and the dude's like scrub area bro i said what he said scrub area bro like oh okay that's the answer it's scrub area Um, oftentimes you'll see a tractor drawn aerial tiller truck Uh, you will you'll see the cab turned away from the building this maximizes the scrub area this allows that that ladder uh, to reach areas that it couldn't reach because of interference from the cab, okay? And that's why when you spec trucks, when you spec aerial devices, okay, you don't. people think, and some departments do this. They're like, yeah, we need an aerial. Okay, what do you want? Give me that one. And, and they concentrate on the colors and, and on the schemes of where everything is, and they don't think twice about what that aerial truck is supposed to be used for. You know, they think an aero truck's just an aerial truck, and they'll do whatever. Well, in some cases, you know, that's the way departments operate. But I always look at an aero truck, and then look at the community that it serves. And immediately, you can find out if anybody knew what they were doing. Because oftentimes, in in areas, the ladder truck, the aero device, does not meet the needs of that community. And... It's a disaster it's it's a million million and a half dollar mistake is what it ends up being and so yeah, you have to maximize scrub area you want to be able to place uh, you want to be able to place that ladder in this case the tiller you want to be able to place that ladder. when that ladder is extended you want to be able to reach as much area of the building as you can that's the that's vital now you also have to factor in how big are your streets you know. If you start getting down into small streets, a uh, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, areas of New York, um, areas of Philadelphia, areas of, say, Charleston, South Carolina, or Savannah, old cities uh, along the coast, and other cities too. I mean, there's other cities the same way, but I'm thinking principally of areas that have very small streets or, or one-ways, things like that. Um, in order to maximize that scrub area, you have to factor all of that in. Um, So you may not have the super duper, you know, mega ladder uh, that has 18 wheels and and, uh, it has 24 uh, jacks coming off of it because it's not going to fit. If you have wide streets, wide areas, boulevards, if, if this thing's running out in a suburban area, then, you know, let's face it, you have a lot more options. But when the area gets condensed, when businesses are packed in, and now the businesses, that can be anywhere. You can have these sort of super malls, uh, outdoor malls, as opposed to the indoor ones, where it's also difficult to get into to places. You know, you take that ladder truck, and I know as a fire marshal, when I was a fire marshal, my first concern in reviewing a site plan was the ladder truck. I mean, I, I took the ladder truck and I said, where can it fit? You know, you don't take the engine. If the ladder truck can fit, the engine's there all day. So you want to maximize that scrub area, obviously. Uh, but from a from a review standpoint, you also want to make sure they got room. Nothing's worse than having a ladder truck sitting in a building. And the news is out there filming. The building is burning and the ladder truck can't get close. It can't. You want to know why? The fire marshal, fire uh, the building official fire official they never took that into account, and it always happens at one time or another it does and then you find out how well your uh, your building official fire official how well they uh, they actually know the fire service and typically you can tell the ones that don 't just as quickly so I hope that answers that question uh, this question is it 's funny in a way. Um, you know, he said, yeah, "I know you've been around a little while and you've gone to different departments. Who do you think's the best department? Uh, yours? Um, you know, I, look. If you ask people what's the best department, um, to me, it, it's kind of a it's subjective. You know, it is it's subjective. I can tell you who are some departments that are absolutely atrocious, and I can tell you departments that I think are great." Um, but everybody has different needs to meet. You know, if, if you're a one station department, um, a little out in a rural area, uh, you know, you have to meet those needs. And so, and we never hear about that by the way, or rarely hear about it, but there's some great one station departments out there. There are, and there's some lousy ones. Um, but as far as the best departments, you know, for me, I think, um, out of the bigger departments, I would say uh, New York certainly has a great department. Uh, they have a great, great history. Um, you know, I I've been around them quite a bit, and uh, I would think the FDNY is certainly, in my opinion, one of the best departments, if not the best. I also think Houston, uh, Chicago, Boston. Uh, you know, if you go out west, there there are great departments out there. Um, L.A., you know, who to me is uh, one of the best as well. Um, I mean, there's a ton of them, uh, no matter where you go. Um, You know, Jacksonville is a great department, Jacksonville, Florida. um, I think Charleston Fire Department's a great department. Um, You know, if you're you're looking up into North Carolina, Charlotte certainly has a good department. Raleigh has a good department. It depends on where you go. You know, there are good departments in every state. Uh, As for the best, well, you know, that's subjective, isn't it? Another one said, on your former podcast, you talked a lot about fire academies and about people sticking with the knowledge that they learn in fire academies. And what I'm wondering is, are you saying that all state academies are bad? Uh, No, I've never said that all state academies are bad. What I have said is that the mindset of people who go to these academies and they graduate or, or they take a class and suddenly they are, it, it's, it's like this um, academies teach you the bare minimum. They do. That, they can't teach you any more than that. Um, there's always funding issues. There's, you know, departments are like, hey, we need our people back as quick as possible. And very often, um, they teach the test. That's what they teach. And I would say that, that that's cheating firefighters and citizens. It really is. If you're teaching the test, then what you're saying in effect is, is that you don't care about your firefighters. You don't. You don't care about their knowledge. You don't care about what they do out in the street. What you're most concerned with is meeting a minimum requirement. And so to me that does more damage to the fire service than almost anything else it does more damage than a politician can do because you're cheating the fire service and you're cheating citizens so nowhere am i saying that all academies are bad there are some academies and uh, including the best in my opinion and I'm not going to say who it is but because people get upset but maybe i'll say it later um you know, there are great academies out there that actually challenge people. They do. And the departments in that state often challenge people, too. Um, if your goal is to get everybody certed, certed up, and you don't care about their knowledge level, then that says a lot about you as, as a leader, as a person. And at the state level, um, again, oftentimes funding's a chore. It is. Um, and we get it. We do. You know, it... it it happens. Um, but again, I'm not saying all state academies are bad. What I'm saying is is the attitude of people who go to these and then come out, and because someone becomes certified in something, uh, certified, uh, that doesn't make them what they're certified in. They might meet a minimum level, but veteran firefighters from, from departments that actually run, run fires and stuff, they have their own idea about what a veteran is. They have their own idea about what competence is, and that competency is not that certification, because we all know what happens in these certifications. I mean, it's not a secret to anyone. Uh, it's what happens if if you know if you're taught the test, if you're given the answers, if you're allowed to to I wouldn't use the word cheat, somebody else might. Um, then really, how? Just how valuable are those individual certifications? Again, they get you to a, a the minimum level. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. You get on an aircraft and and the uh, the captain and the first officer are there. Co-pilot are there. And uh, they're greeting you as you come on board. That doesn't happen, but let's say in this case it does. And the pilot's saying, yeah, I've been flying 25 years. A lot of experience. Nice to meet you. The co-pilot goes... I certified yesterday to the minimum standard and at the flight school that I was at they gave us the answers right I mean they did because they want to be certed up they wanted me to get my pilots license right how much does that license mean and because you're putting your life on the line if the pilot suddenly fell over would you be competent or confident about that co-pilot landing in the plane the answer is no although for all the world that pilot that co pilot is certified. Yeah, certified. But it doesn't mean they've flown a lot. It doesn't mean they know what they're doing. So again, are you willing to put your life on the line on an aircraft with someone who's certed but not good? I'm not willing to. I have before, but you know, if I knew that I would not I would not fly on that that plane. So why would you do any different for the fire service where, guess what, lives are on the line, right? Why? 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 Um, you know, it's just something that you got to think about. Again, people who have the certs and who studied, good. That, they're good. But if the cert says what you are and you come in and you say, oh, man, yeah, I'm, I'm Instructor 7. Really? How long have you been in the fire department? Uh, three years. Really? Ah, well, congratulations. Go sit in the corner, you know? And ultimately, uh, how much faith are you putting in that person in instructing other people? Are these fire officers who have fire officer 12 and no practical experience? <laughs> There's no fire officer 12, at least I don't think there is, although I'm sure it'll come because that's how people stack certs. You can only stack certs if you have more and more, right? I will take a four-week course from any known good fire department and and promoting company officers than any 15 certifications. The certs, they are what they are. You have to have them, but they're not the end-all and be-all. Next question, this guy. Uh, Can you do a segment on fire behavior? Sure. But I'm not sure how good that segment would be. Because we can talk about fire behavior, but that would require me to paint an excellent picture of exactly what's going on in that particular moment. We can talk in generalities about fire behavior, but dialing down in the specificity, you need some pictures. It's great if you have some video. So fire behavior, I'll hit the highlights. I don't mind doing that. You know, it's that can be fun. In fact, I like fire behavior. I like trying to figure out those things. But as for a segment on specifics with related to fire behavior, probably best left for for the blog usfirejournal.com or um, some other venue. Uh, This is a good one. Um, My department, I think, has something going on with a distributor of tools and equipment. Um, We have continually brought this up and they won't investigate the tool purchases. What do we do? I'm not sure I completely understand the question. Um, My department won't investigate tool purchases. What? Uh, So so let me say this. Number one, write a better question. Um, Number two, You know, here's the thing. There are departments that go out and and they purchase tools. They purchase equipment. Um, They're going with with the local dealer, maybe. Um, And and that can create some issues. It can. By and large, most of the time, it's never an issue. Um, If there's something going on and it rises to the level of, of being illegal, or if it's uh, an ethical issue, then then I would say refer it to to law enforcement or to whatever state agency handles ethics complaints. Um, this isn't a really good question. So, you know, what do we do? I, I don't know. Learn how to write a question, maybe. Um, and you know, just because you think something is happening, think it doesn't mean that it is happening. There's a huge difference. You know, oftentimes um, you think, well, there's no, why do we have this piece of equipment? This piece of equipment is stupid. Why do we have it? Obviously, somebody was getting a kickback. No, that's not obvious. Sometimes people who purchase things don't know what they're purchasing. They have no clue about any of the equipment they're purchasing. So if a salesman comes in and says, hey, this is the big bad Mugabe uh, door separator and it's the best thing ever and it's $10,000 and it's 12 inches high, one inch wide, other people call it a stapler, but we call it, you know, it's this big bad door remover. And the person who's, who's okay in the purchases goes, oh yeah, well, that's good. We need that. You know, we obviously need that. So they buy it. Well, that's, there's no kickback involved. That's just ignorance involved because the person who accepts that, who says, yeah, we'll buy it, they're betraying their lack of knowledge about the fire service in general. So it's not always a kickback. It's not always something illegal. Sometimes, as in everything in life, it's just ignorance or stupidity. So just because your department uh, bought a tanker truck that, that only carries 200 gallons <laughs> doesn't mean uh, that, that there was, uh, you know, some sort of illegality or ethics violation. It, it could just be the people who bought it are not that bright. And uh, that, that's an issue to be sure, but that's an issue for, for uh, politicians uh, to, who decide policy and things like that, and, and I don't know what to tell you with that. All I'm saying is sometimes there are illegalities, Uh, And other times it's just plain ignorance, an exuberant salesman, um, you know, all sorts of things. But this is interesting in as much as in a future podcast, we're going to talk about this exact subject. Um, And it is uh, some ethical issues regarding purchases and the need for forensic accounting to take place. Uh, you know, for a third party agency, whether it be the state, somebody else to come in and look at look at purchases and decide if ethics violations or or any sort of uh, legal issues uh, would arise from it, should arise from it. But this is completely different. And that's later on. Uh, here's another one. What's the best book on firefighting? Uh, yeah. Um, well, it depends. Are, are we talking about memoirs or biographies are we talking about roof operations are we talking about firefighting in general um the best book on firefighting uh again subjective if you're talking about biographies and memoirs two immediately come to mind uh report from engine company 82 by dennis smith and 30 years on the line by uh leo stapleton Uh, both of them and for very different reasons um they tell a lot about how the fire service was. Um, And it also sets the stage for the future. Uh, Dennis Smith's uh, classic report from Engine Company 82 details uh, the South Bronx in the 70s during the war years. Uh, Smith was a member of uh, Engine Company 82 there in the South Bronx, obviously, report from Engine Company 82. He went on to found and publish and edit Firehouse Magazine Um, The book is good. It it does have a large social aspect to it, which I know is off-putting to some firefighters. Um, But overall, the book's good. It really is. Um, It details a time and place in the fire service. 30 Years on the Line is by Leo Stapleton, who was a, a fire commissioner in Boston. He worked his way up, firefighter, all the way up through fire chief slash commissioner. And it is a book that will... Uh, keep you laughing, and uh, and make you uh, appreciate what firefighters have gone through to get to where uh, we are today. And I got to tell you, um, I've read all of Leo Stapleton's books, and uh, I, all of them are enjoyable in one way or another, but I think 30 Years on the Line and the Commish are, are two great books in the fire service with respect to memoirs. There was another one, I think his name was—I know his last name. I'm pretty sure it was Hall. He was a uh, firefighter in Baltimore. I think it was called Turnout. Um, that was also a good memoir. Um, Twenty Thousand Alarms was a good one. Uh, th- there's all kinds with respect to that. As far as firefighting, it really depends on—really uh, depends on what you what you want. Um, you know, I I like all of Vince Dunn's books. Uh, Safety and Survival in the Fireground, Collapse of Burning Buildings, up to his three latest, which are all worthy, very worthy. Um, you know, there there are all kinds of books out there uh, Fire Officer's Handbook of Tactics, um, uh, John Norman, um, you know, Fire Engineering books and videos. Uh, they have a lot of great books. And then the books are, and look, uh, people say, well, I'm not paying that much for a book. Well, you know, then you're probably going to be stuck with not reading and learning because fire service books are expensive. You're not going to go and and buy 20 books at a time and and come away feeling like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, they are expensive because they're catering to a small audience. Publishers have to make money to stay open. Um, I too wish they were cheaper. I wish they were free, but they're not. So, you know, you have to spend money. Um, We'll do this in a... I'll do this in a post. I'll I'll put up maybe a a list of three books for probies to three-year veterans and then, you know, break it down into groups all the way up to senior uh, command staff officers and see what people think about them. Uh, Another question. Uh, uh, What's the best attack line? And... Why are people... Well, that doesn't make any sense. I just saw what's the best attack line. Well, the best attack line is the one that you got on your truck that you have to use at that moment. Um, Line selection is important. There are people who think every fire you have to pull that cross-lay or uh, or every fire is an inch and three-quarter fire all day long. And that may well be the case in certain areas. Um, I doubt it. Uh, The cross-lay is great. Um... For, for its own purposes, I think it has taught people or it has allowed people to forego learning exactly how to stretch lines. Um, and the bottom line is this, too. If you're not practicing stretching lines, typically your stretch isn't going to go well. If, if, and this goes back to the people who think, you know, it's like throwing ladders. There are people out there who gripe about practicing throwing ladders. And I, I can always tell people who've never had to throw ladders Really, you can, and, and they have no interest on learning anything. They're more interested in the minutiae, but they're definitely not interested in being competent. You have to throw ladders to be competent at them. You have to stretch hand lines to be competent at that. The more you do it, the better you are, period. Um, we don't have a problem with this in most things in life, you know. Let's go back to a plane, the more takeoffs and landings a pilot has, the better they, uh, the better they get, you know, they become more proficient. Um, and uh, think of a surgeon. If a surgeon's not operating, they're not getting any better. Skills are diminishing. Those are perishable skills. So are stretching hose lines. So, and also you get, well, that's for a future podcast. Uh, so what's the best line? Uh, it depends. You know, it does. What's the size of the fire? Uh, where do you have to go? There, there's no one answer for everything. There just isn't. I know we've, we've come into to being where everybody has to have those three bullet points, right? This is the best line. This is the best ladder. And these are the be- this is the best tactic. But those three don't fit every situation. And it's laziness, really. That's what it ends up being. It's like a nozzle that can do everything. A nozzle that, that purports to do everything can do not one thing really well just can't you know um, we've geared so much toward trying to reduce staffing with all these wonderful tools and equipment that we forget that that reduced staffing is cancer it is reduced staffing is a cancer in the fire service and and so you know what do you do well you try to increase your staffing you try to get people to respect what firefighters do um, let's move on to another question. But we'll do this as the final question. Um, you talk a lot about leadership. I'm wondering, what's it take to be a good follower? Uh, good question. I think being a good follower is being informed. You know, if, if you sit around and uh, at any job and you don't try to learn what your job is, if you expect someone to always come up to you and tell you what to do, you're definitely not a good follower. Um, it, it's like people who, it's like a driver who's saying, okay, which way, where do you want me to park the truck? You know, where, I mean, and it's constant, it's everything. Where do you want me to go? Which way do you want me to go? How fast do you want me to go? Should I park here? Should I park over there? That gets old. It gets old because you're the driver. Now, if your company officer wants to, To do everything for you that's between you and the company officer but when you're riding in the seat riding you know if you're if you're acting officer an officer the last thing you want to do is have to tell everybody everything they need to do a good follower understands what they need to do they're not afraid to make a decision uh, within the confines of what that officer expects if you don't know then you ask but if it's something you should know, understand you're making it worse on everybody if you have to 20 question on every call. You know, every call is an opportunity to learn. It's not just getting in the vehicle, driving to it, and coming back. I and mean, it can be, it can be that way your whole career. Um, typically, unless you're in a crap department, you're never going to move up. Uh, in part because if you have to ask every question, you know, if everything is a is a debate or a, or a wonderment for you, then you probably you probably need to go do something else, you know. So a good follower understands. I think um, what's needed. They try to take uh, initiative within the confines of their own responsibilities, right? So you know, if you know your company officer wants you to have a halligan and a light at the front door. That's what you bring. If your company officer wants, wants a a pike pole, or if your company officer wants a flathead ax or a pickhead ax, well, don't wait for them to tell you to do it. Go and do it. If you're driving, don't wait for the company officer to tell you every single thing that that's wrong. It is. And, uh, it's just the way it works out. Um, I recall once uh, I had a captain. One of my captains was very upfront about things. He was a great guy, uh, but he'd tell you about yourself in a heartbeat. Told me about myself plenty of times. And uh, we had a driver that, that got detailed to us from another station and another battalion. And uh, he was—he'd been on the job a little while, and so we get a call to a college, and uh, we. We go up one street, hang, hang a left on another street, and we're coming down. And this guy, I didn't know it because I was riding the back, and we had open cabs. So, you know, the back was open, so I didn't hear the conversation. But uh, we end up pulling up there, and me, the other firefighter, and the captain, we get off the truck to go inside, and, the, and my captain's furious. I mean, he's furious. He's furious. Um, the guy twenty questioned him, and, and mind you, that run was about a minute from the time we left the station to arrival, about a minute. And he had already he had already screwed up, um, and the captain's telling us like this guy is not a driver. He's not. He's nervous. He's he's twenty questioning. So anyway, we dismissed it. Later that day, we ended up on a fire. Um, we pull up to this house and. Um, there's a fire on the second floor, and uh, I pulled the line, and the other firefighter came around and backed me up. We went up the steps. The officer came up with us, and uh, uh, we didn't get water. And uh, not only did we not get water, but the second dude, who was right behind us, um, they ended up pulling a, a line off their truck, and they came up the stairs. Now, we wouldn't let them pass, so we took their line, but that ultimately went back to that driver the driver also couldn't pump he could pump fine training but we had a fire and he was worthless and he ended up uh, leaving the job uh, about a week after that actually it happens Um, not everybody's cut out to do a particular thing Uh, you know a lot of people want to be astronauts but they can't be Um, it should be the same with the fire service just because you want to do something doesn't mean you can do it And people have to realize that and realize their own shortcomings. That's going to do it for today. I will be back on Sunday with a special podcast. We'll talk more then. Until then, stay safe.